Okay, I need you to say something, anything. Just say something. Are you ready to rumble? Oh, that's what a real sound booth sounds like. <laughs> oh my God, long time coming, man. I know, we built you a sound booth. How awesome is it? Thank you for that, by the way. That was awesome. I don't think I could have done it without you. I could have done it uh, virtually and you could have given me instructions uh, by FaceTime or something, but it just wasn't the same. Got to share a cocktail. No, no. It would have took a real long time because you're (laughs) (laughs) one-handed. Yeah. (laughs) So at least I had two hands and you could hand me stuff, which was amazing. Yeah, Yeah, like (laughs) cock. Yeah, yeah. Lots of cocking in that room. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. We went through 16 tubes of PL Premium. They should be a sponsor now, I think. Holy man. Sponsored by PL Premium. PL Premium. The only way to hang out foam tiles. Yeah. It sounds great. It looks great too, so. Yeah. You know what? You don't even sound high. No. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. I've left the door open since we built the place just to try to get rid of the fumes. High on glue. This is David the Hustle. Or something of the sorts. So I'm going to talk first today, but I, like, I'm, I'm feeling bad because you have this nice sound booth. I feel people should get to hear you. Nah, no problem, brother. I'm going to give you my two cents as often as I can. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess two cents. Yeah. Building the room was only one cent because just the one hand, but I'll take two. <laughs> I'll take two today. <laughs> I am going to mind your business today. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I want to talk about those youngsters. I'm going to be a grandpa oh, I today. We were talking about sex, baby. I wish. I wish you and me. No, that sounds that's bad. No, I was trying to <laughs> trying to make it sound like the song with the lyrics, then all of a sudden we were lovers in a dangerous yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> Never going to give you up. I know it makes me sound old. I want to dive into the world of marketing to a younger audience. Oh, this should be interesting. Well, we're in a day and age right now where if you own a business, you you have your demographic, which is great, but they are getting older and you have to start targeting to younger clientele. And those younger clientele, I know, drive me crazy. I'm not trying to be mean. I just, I'm not a big fan of the whole TikTok, Snapchat. I don't know about you. You're, you're a big TikToker? You dance? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, <laughs> you know what? I posted a couple of things when I had, first had my account there. Actually, yeah. I think Peyton was one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was she over did a she stair was doing, thing. She was doing the dance in the stairs. Yeah. But man, I just don't have enough time. Like, I got to run a business. <laughs> exactly. I got to heal my arm. Yeah. <laughs> but I find the entertainment value of TikTok is really great, though. I've had 100%. some really chuckles. But when you think of marketing, doesn't matter what type of business you are, if you're trying to hit that younger audience, the landscape there is not easy. No kidding. They laugh at us for using Facebook. They're like, that's archaic. <laughs> exactly. My, my girls come over and if their phone is facing up on the counter, like all you see are Snapchat messages come on Snapchat, ah, Snapchat. Same that's, the way they, that's the way they communicate. I mean, there's nothing yeah. wrong with it. It's just, it's a good point that you bring this up because if you're looking to cater to a certain audience, you have to go where the audience is. 100%. You're not going to go get a 22-year-old uh, on Facebook. No, no. 
Exactly. This type of marketing, just like the younger generation, is forever changing. And you have to push that envelope. And like when I talk about thinking outside the box, this is on a whole other level of thinking outside the box. Now, with everything I'm going to talk about today, really, this should be part of your marketing strategy, no matter what your demographic is. But when it comes to a younger audience, these are a few things that I think touching on is really crucial to your business. So the first thing I want to start with is authenticity and transparency. 1000%. Yeah. And this goes back to what I've been saying since our very first episode, the humanizing factor. You know, forging that connection with your audience and sharing, whether it's authentic stories, behind the scene content, whatever it is, showing your faces and the real faces behind the brand. Yeah. You know what? And if we keep repeating that humanizing factor, maybe people will start believing that it's actually something and it's effective. I know. Well, that's the thing. No one gives a shit about the CEO. Like, sorry, Galen Weston, but they care about the cashier. They care about the manager. They don't give a shit about you. <laughs> people don't only not care about Galen Weston. They don't really like him. No, I <laughs> I don't. My grocery bill does not. A lot of bad law laws press in the media these days. Exactly. Well, that's why I bring it up. This is a whole thing of connecting with your audience. I'm jumping on a trend. Everyone yeah. hates Galen West. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's cool to hate him. Exactly. It's so true, though. Seriously, though, a younger audience will respond and trust you more to seeing that video of like the merchandiser working during closed hours, dancing away to music versus seeing an ad that you're pushing a product. And we've talked about this before. It's like trying to sell a product in this day and age doesn't work. You need to sell the people. Yeah, I am sold because that's exactly how I run my business. And I'm a big believer in the humanizing factor. And even with and I'm going to go get old man on you here. If any young people are listening, your website, young people still do visit websites. It's hard to believe, but it's true. And when they go there and they go to the about us page, especially if you're a small business, and I discuss this with every client, even the most professional, serious type of business, not a single young kid gives a shit in really any generation. They don't give a shit if you went to Western University, if you got five degrees, all these specialties. But what they do care about is, are you a rock climber? Do you coach your kid's hockey team on the weekends? Do you have a dog that goes crazy when it sees a raccoon? That's the interesting shit that I'm talking about in being human. So when I say be authentic and transparent, is just that. Show the behind the scenes. Show who's working within so that people can trust you. And this younger generation, they want to see real human beings. They don't want to be pushed an ad. They don't want to see some model. They want to see you. feel special right now. You feel special because yeah. you're seeing me. <laughs> can you imagine if I was just a model on the other side of this? Yeah, the days. Well, you know what? It's like the it's like the days of telephone books. You know, they just don't exist anymore. So you have oh, to keep exactly. up with the times. And you know what? Just because you're not happy that there's no phone books left, it doesn't matter, right? Because they're just not there anymore. So you have to adapt. Otherwise, you drown. Right. Exactly. Well, and that leads me to the next thing about we had phone books and that led into social media with visually appealing content. Right. Right. If you don't have something that looks flashy, you're going to drown. Exactly what you were saying. And like what I mean by this is exploring visually appealing content on platforms like Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat. If you're just out there and I, I see it all the time, we've had clients do this where they're like, I bought an ad at a bus stop. Hmm. And it's like, OK, so. Okay, so you got the ad at the bus stop and they're like, yeah, yeah, it's really nice. It has my picture on it. And I'm like, okay, that's okay. And social media wise, what are you doing now? And they're like, no, no, you didn't hear me. Like our marketing, we did the bus ad. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, 
<laughs> yeah. The kid at the, the who's standing in the bus stop. Yeah, they did see your ad. They may have retained a little bit of it. Maybe even probably not anything really at all. <laughs> but the commercial is for car mats. Exactly. <laughs> no one who has a car or car mats sits at the bus station. Exactly. And it's always, you know, real estate agents and stuff like that where you see at the bus stop. But then I'm like, how are you not on TikTok? How are you not on Snapchat? And they want to connect to a younger audience. And I hear this all the time. I've had clients say these exact words. Well, well I don't use Snapchat, so we don't have to use that one. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, the reverse could be true as well, too, right? Like, I know your conversation is going to, you know, to market to younger audience, but yeah, uh, I had I have a funny example for you of a younger audience that was looking for the older audience, but didn't know how. Is that a client of mine who I wanted to uh, use his services uh, has a small business, and so I couldn't remember what the small business was called. So I went on Facebook because I'm that's my age, yeah, and it still showed his last employer. Like he was an employee, but he's oh, a business. So but he's a business owner. <laughs> so I, I texted him. I said, "Dude, you gotta gotta change your update. profile." In, yeah, <laughs> exactly. it's like in his mind, nobody's going on Facebook, so why would I update it, right? Oh, I but, know. But people that are using his services are the demographic that are avidly using Facebook, like you and I. But here's the thing: it doesn't have to be your content. What shocker! I know. So seriously, let's say you're a business, uh, let's say you're a fitness center, okay? And you see a post of a group of young people that run together, or maybe they're doing a marathon or something, whatever. Now, going back to the humanizing factor is, yes, you can take their content and share it and tag them, and that's great. However, go one little step further, send them a DM and ask them if it's okay to share their post. And this does two things. Asking shows that you care about them and their feelings. There's not a human on the face of the earth who doesn't like that, young or old. And the next is that your post will show your demographic that you care about regular people, not just models that you're paying to pose for your fitness center. You actually give a shit. This running group of like 20-somethings, they are now the poster child for your brand in a way. And I say child because they're younger. (laughs) (laughs) But then in the caption, ask people to share their fitness milestones or journeys. And you're asking your audience to participate. And they've seen that you've put regular people up there. And people love getting recognition. And it's so great. It makes you feel part of the culture. Think of Lululemon or Starbucks, right? They suck you into that culture as if you think you're buddies. When I walk in Starbucks, you talk to the barista and it's like we're buddies. I've never met them before, but for some reason, I feel part of the culture. I walk in there like, hey, what's up? High five. That's very powerful, too. Oh, 100%. So align with trends, right? I I just mentioned that earlier about Galen Weston and everybody hating them. If you find a trend that works, whether you're sharing content or creating your own fun content, this will help boost engagement and get people talking about you. The last thing, and this is the easiest thing to do, and so many businesses fail at this, is optimize for mobile first experiences. And what this means is make it user-friendly on a phone. It boggles my mind that people are still building content for computers first. There is not one person under 30 that sits at a computer to surf the web. No, exactly. Or any social media platform. Even on an iPad, it's just everyone's on their phone. 100%. And I get it. People still have computers. And I have clients who say everyone still works on a computer. Yes, they do. They don't have their computer in their hands 24-7 like they do with their phones. Yeah, the key word there is working on your computer. They do everything else on their phone. 
Yeah, 100%. There's nothing worse than going to a website on a phone and you can't find what you're looking for because half the site's missing or it's poorly laid out. And the same thing goes for emails or ads, whatever it is. Like, have you ever gotten an email on your phone? The text is so tiny and you got to scroll side to side. That's because they have a, probably a fancy signature that wasn't formatted properly. Big ass uh, company logo after their name or something. Exactly. So just test <clears throat> out your email, find the problems. And with ads, same thing. I watched an ad the other day and they had text on it that was so small that even if I turned my phone sideways, I still had to zoom in to see what it said. What did it say? I, I gave up. I left the ad. <laughs> I don't know. It was too small. Well, and that's the point. I didn't explore the brand. I stopped watching the ad. I was like, ah, fuck it. And I left and I lost interest instantly. And if I, as a 44 year old man, lost interest, a 24 year old person's going to lose that same interest way faster than I did. Yeah, I 100% agree. Anyways, these tips aren't just theoretical concepts. They are a big part of your marketing toolkit to capture younger audiences. And this isn't rocket science, man. Like, oh, it's just not at all. a lot of common sense. Yeah. Just remember the key aspects. Be creative. Be out there on different platforms. If you don't use Snapchat, you're going to start using Snapchat. You don't have to use it. You just have to market on it, right? And forge that connection, the humanizing factor. For the love of God, be human. You be you. That's what's really cool. It's always funny when I talk to clients because recently I get asked about AI all the time. And everyone is so afraid of AI, so afraid of it. How do we overcome AI? And then I tell them, I say, okay, well, forget about AI. We are here. We need to talk about the humanizing factor and you being you and getting in front of your audience. And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. Okay. <laughs> but you don't want AI and you don't want to be you. So there's no in between. Can't suck and blow. Exactly. All right. Listen, that's it. Uh, I'm going to play a younger ad right now. I'm just kidding. It's not really younger. It's younger because I made it a little while ago. I was younger. <laughs> uh, younger voiceover. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Wait, Steve tried to use an app to invest and build a retirement plan? <laughs> yeah, laugh it up, Miss Giggles. I don't want Mom to hear. <laughs> Mom! You can't build a future with a single app on your phone. Hashtag call Renee of St. Cyr and Associates. So, I talked about the young kids, and I feel so old when I say that. You are old, bud. I know. I can't believe my youngest turned 19 recently. No kidding. That's really aging me, man. Can drink in the bars legally. Yeah. She's not much of a drinker, but she had that first cocktail at dinner just to prove it. Nice. You know, well, you have to. She could. You absolutely have to. It's tradition. I love it. Hey, I want you to talk about some youngsters too. I don't want to be the only one to feel old here. No problem, man. You've been asking me to talk about education savings for some time now, so I'm glad uh, we're bringing that well, up. Well, that's the thing. I got two kids. One's going to be going to school in a oh, well, year and a half, and... The other one, it was a couple of years away, but still, it's uh, it weighs on my mind, and I know it weighs on the mind of lots of Canadians. Well, it's interesting how people look at uh, education and funding education. I mean, first, I think we should talk about prioritizing when it comes to your finances is like, where is it on your priority list? You know, mm -hmm. we see both extremities of people that are like totally committed to funding 100% of the education. They're like, I don't want my kid to come out of school with any debt, so they have a fresh start. They can focus stress-free on their career and start saving for a house and whatever. Yeah. And then the other extremity was like, you know what? My generation busted their balls to fund their own education and I never got any help from my parents and, you know, they can fend for themselves. Yeah. But I would say most Canadians are somewhere in between, right? Okay. I would say the average Canadian would, you know, probably not have 
the resources to fund 100% of the education. And some that do actually don't want to because they want their kids to have some sweat in the game, yeah. right? So I, th- I think prioritizing what is important in terms of your your financial objectives is where you should be starting. Because, you know, I've often told clients, is like, if you can't afford to retire, let's say we do a, a financial plan for a client and there's a shortfall on the education side and there's a shortfall on the retirement side. It's like, if you can't afford to retire, no one will lend you money to retire. So you're never going to retire. That's a great point. But if you don't have the resources or you haven't fully funded your education, institutions are going to be more than happy to lend you money knowing that you're going to get educated, you're going to get a good job and you're going to have the resources and the means to pay that loan back. And, you know, it's a win-win for everyone. So if there's a shortfall across the board, I mean, I'm often, you know, trying to persuade clients to maybe make the education piece a little less on the priority list than say retirement and getting rid of mortgage debt, et cetera. So it really depends on what's important to you. Yeah. Once you've kind of sorted out your priorities when it comes to your finances, and what you're looking to accomplish uh, when saving for your child's education, you know, then you have to figure out how you're going to save for that. I would say, hands down, the registered education savings plan uh, that was established many moons ago Mm -hmm. uh, would be the best place to start. Free money, baby. Is free money. Yeah, the rules on that is uh, $2,500 per year per child, Mm -hmm. and the government will match 20%. So you'll get $500 then you get $3,000 to invest. The key there is if I could fast forward to when your child's 18 and say, listen, you know, you could have had 20% of this education paid for by the government. You know, you say, well, why the hell did I not do that, you know, 18 years ago? Yeah. So you're allowed the rules with the RESP. You're allowed 50,000 of lifetime contributions and you're allowed a lifetime maximum of $7,200 in education grants. So, I mean, $7,200 plus the growth, you know, could potentially represent you know, twelve to $15,000. Yeah, that's not chump change. No, in today's dollars pays, I would say, you know, half of a year's education. So if you had... Or pub night. Or <laughs> or pub night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So here's an interesting fact, though. The RESP rules and the government uh, formula for funding that grant yeah. uh, has remained the same since its inception, essentially. So the $2,500 per year and the 20% grant of 500 bucks has not changed since inception. So since I started in business in 1999, if you were funding your kid's education then with the RESP, the RESP would represent almost 100% of that whole education cost for, say, a four-year university program. So if you maxed out the kid's education and you got the max grant and you invested it properly in, say, you earn five or 6%, you would have all of the money needed for uh, that four-year program. Back in 1999. Yeah. However, I just read a study that showed that since 1990, the average education inflation was 6.2%. Yeah. Where right up until last year, the 100-year average inflation in Canada was 2%. And even in the last year, the average has been bumped up to 3%. So it's still two to three times more than the average inflation. So (laughs) just think about this. I ran a quick number. If your education costs $25,000 a year today, and that's about my daughter's in university right now. Yeah. Let's say twenty five to 30000 depending what program you're in. Yeah. That includes your, your tuition, your meal plan, and your housing, your lodging. If we ran an 18-year period, so let's say your friend has a newborn and mm-hmm. we want to project 18 years into the future at 6.2% inflation, that means that that $25,000 a year cost for education is going to actually cost 74000 Holy moly. 
right? So we're looking at a four-year program costing yeah. nearly $300,000. Crazy. That's fucking insane. That is insane. And there's no talks of the government making any changes to the RESP. So it's the parent's responsibility, it's the child's responsibility to just be prepared for this and have realistic expectations of, you know, what the RESP is going to do for you. And if you're really committed to funding the difference, you're going to have to choose other avenues, whether you have some room in your TFSA that you want to kind of tag a certain amount of investments towards the kid's education or some sort of non-registered investment. Or if you're, you know, if you're successful enough that you can just fund it with cash flow once the kid does go to school and say, okay, the RESP has funded approximately 50% of the expected cost of education. Once we reach that point, the other 50% of the cost, we're going to fund it with cash flow because we just have, you know, household income that could support that. Or some people just say, listen, kid, you know, you need to have some skin in the game. You need to come up with the other half. And while you're working through high school, you need to set money aside and you'll just have to go get yourself a loan. It's insane that the government hasn't kept up with inflation as far as that goes. I feel like I need a rage room right now. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that even being part of conversation, really. That's crazy. I never, I honestly, I never thought about it. I've, uh, you know, me and my wife, we've put into our kids our ESP and thinking, wow, it's great we're getting this money. And, but now when you put the dollars and cents into it and add up the math, it's, it's it, again, this pub night maybe they're covering. <laughs> Speaking of that, you're a lucky bastard when it comes to your RESP. I don't I know, know if it, what the timing was, if it was the day of the weekly packs that we set up for dollar cost averaging or what, because we have other clients in the same portfolio, but it's just must've been fluke of when you put money into that portfolio, but you've consistently had double digit returns since I the know. kids were born. Like, I don't know any other client that has that in our RESP accounts. I contributed to Lucas, my son, because we call him lucky Lucas because he was born on 07. 707. So oh, he's nice. like my slot machine, right? I pull the arm down and uh, the three sevens come up and it's the win. <laughs> Is that why you always throw them at me to make some picks for the football pool when I join in at the Super Bowl time? <laughs> exactly. That's a, it's Lucas the slot machine, man. 777 always yeah. comes up. <laughs> Don't throw me in jail, but I give him a little bit of money when he picks the winners. So I know this to a certain extent, but I'd let you take care of 99% of all of this. But when it comes to taxes and the RESP. Ah, that's an excellent question. Does that hurt me? Does that hurt the kid later? Who does it hurt? Because clearly the government's already in my pocket. So almost everyone setting up an RESP with us says, so is this going to like help my taxes like RSPs do? Exactly. And the answer is no. So there's no tax deductibility, okay. but they actually created these quite intelligently. They essentially allow you to kick the can down the road when it comes to taxes. So the investment account, the RESP is tax sheltered. Okay. What that means is you're not going to get a tax break because it's not tax deductible like an RSP country, but the RSP, when you take it out, is taxable. The RESP, what happens is when the child goes to school, 18, 19 years old, you start drawing from the RESP. Presumably the child is in school full time. So they may have a summer job making themselves 10 or 20,000 bucks a year. Mm -hmm. The rules are that your principal, so everything that you've put in, you have a return of capital that's non-taxable. And then your granting growth is taxed, but it's taxed in the child's name. They call it the beneficiary. So the beneficiary okay. of the RESP is the child. The beneficiary is then taxed on the granting growth. So presumably if the child is hasn't reached their personal exemption amount, they're going to pay no tax. And if they have the lowest tax bracket, say 
say in Ontario, for example, um, federal and provincial combined is 20.05. So the worst that they're going to pay is 20% tax on the grant and growth. And then you have a return of capital on your principal. Whereas the parents are probably paying, you know, 30 to 54% depending on their level of income. Exactly. So it's a great way to save for education because A, the government gives you 20% grant on $2,500 a year. And then all of the granting growth is tax sheltered until you pull the money out. And then that granting growth portion is then taxed. So the child will receive a T4A for their tax preparation. And it's taxed in their name, which will presumably be in a much lower tax rate than mom and dad, who are probably at the height of their career after they've had children for 18 or 20 years. Good question, Daryl. Proudy. Hey, I'm not all just good looks over here. <laughs> okay, most of it is good looks. Thanks for looping me in. <laughs> Actually, you know what? After you were here helping me with this thing, I'm like, holy fuck, this guy's just good for looks. <laughs> <laughs> you knew what had to get done. You taught me lots about how to put this room together and it being fully soundproof, but <laughs> you, you taught me about patience. <laughs> yeah. You, you really struggle with that cog gun. You know what? For a masturbator of your caliber... I would have never guessed that was going to be an issue. You, you you would have thought I would stick that shit up like nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah Give me five it, minutes alone in that soundproof yeah, room. And <laughs> stick it to the wall and hope it sticks. Oh, my God. So that about sums it up. So nice. in summary, prioritize how important education savings is for you and how it fits in your financial plan and to make sure you can afford it or to also make sure that you don't have other pressing priorities that have to take precedence over the education. Once you've decided the order of priority and what you're going to do about it and what your plans are, uh, then set a saving strategy. Start with the RESP to get the free money. Anything over and above that could be set up you know, in an entrust account for the child, uh, your own non-registered investment, and probably the best other avenues, if you don't have TFSA maxed out, you should be doing that through a tax-free savings account and not have to pay tax on any of the growth. Yeah. Um, and seek some advice to make sure that it's properly put to work and also not invested overly aggressive, right? Because it's only an 18-year window. Like if you're putting all your eggs in one yeah, basket yeah. and you decide you're going to buy one company with your child's education, there's a chance that it's going to be worth less than what you put in there and possibly less than the grant portion as well. So you just want to make sure that you make some sensible decisions on the types of investments that you choose for, you know, the time horizon that you have for the education savings. I know you won't say it, so I'm going to say it. I know you're you're very modest in this sense, but for me, I think I called you just before conception, maybe even during <laughs> yeah. and said, can I invest now the moment the seed is in? Yeah, you did not think outside the box that day. You That's were right. in the box when you were thinking about that. But people do that, right? Well, people don't call you in the middle of sex to say, can I start investing now? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I'd love it if they did. It'd be interesting. <laughs> but I was one who was like the second Lucas, my oldest, was born. I'm like, do you need me to snap a picture of the birth certificate signature so we can get this rolling today? Yeah, and that you, too is a good point. Yeah, is that it's... You know, you, you want to start early, but I think the most important part is talk to your certified financial planner and ask these questions. Find out when is the good time? Is it right to do it? Made me think when you mentioned that you uh, reached out as soon as uh, you found out that uh, Aaron was pregnant is that you also have to wait for the child to have a social insurance number because that's how they track the actual contributions for the grant. So you can't actually set up an RESP account until you have the child's uh, social insurance number. It's all such a great point. And, you know, the whole CFP thing, it's important to talk to them. 
But if it's during sex, you should pull out if you haven't reached out as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, because maybe you can't afford a family. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. When my parents started investing responsibly, (laughs) I became a huge fan of renewable energy. Your wind energy pun really blows. (laughs) See what you did there. Impact investing is no joke. Hashtag call Renee, responsible investment specialist of St. Cyr and Associates. It would have been pretty great if I had an ad about sex just then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Listen, I want to talk to you today. You are, as far as I'm concerned, my healthiest friend. Okay, that's a nice compliment. Yeah, you're in such great shape. I know you argue and you're like, oh, I'm so fat today. And I've never actually seen that. I know being a former bodybuilder and now you just constantly just kept taking care of yourself. Yeah, right to the point I detached a bicep. Yeah, right to when you detached a bicep. But I want to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart or I guess my belly is snack foods. Snacking. Because I struggle with this. I'm a bit of a stress eater. Yeah, I think. Clearly, I'm a really stressful guy. <laughs> but I'm a stress eater. And generally at night, when I'm trying to kind of wind down, get my head out of like work mode, I tend to like, you know, I'll throw on a show and that sometimes leads to snacking. And anytime I've ever been to your house, you are a snacker as far as I'm concerned. And let me explain, because... You'll eat your breakfast, you'll eat your lunch, and you'll eat your dinner. But in between, you kind of have little snacks along the way. However, they are healthy snacks, right? Like I'm, uh, I like the salty chips and stuff like that. And I, you know, when I'm stressed, I gravitate towards that. But I saw a dietitian the other day talking about Doritos and veggie straws. You know, those veggie straws are kind of like they look like oh, cheesies, yeah. but super healthy option. Exactly. Well, because they're called veggie straws, right? Don't be fooled, people. Exactly. And sadly, like she talked about it and she's like, yes, the veggie straws have vegetables in it. But look at all this other bad stuff that's in it. And at the end of the day, she's like, actually, the more healthier option between these two evils was the Doritos. Yeah, I believe it. And neither are saving you any calories, but there's a few healthy snacks that I eat. But I want to talk about I want you to tell us what you do. Like, tell us about your snacking because they're healthy snacks. I'll tell you what. I love to snack on chips, too, Daryl. Yeah, I love salty snacks and the unhealthy stuff is delicious. Like if it was healthy for me, I'd eat a whole friggin' tube of Pringles and just love them. But <laughs> the trick is don't keep them in the house because when you have a craving, yeah. very few times you're going to jump in your vehicle and you're going to drive to the store and go buy what you're craving. True. true. If you do, you have a problem and you need to pay serious <laughs> attention to that. But for the most part, it's like nine o'clock at night when that craving starts. You're watching a great movie. You have some great laughs. You had a glass of wine with dinner and you're like, I want some friggin' Pringles. I want some Frito-Lay Ripple chips. All that shit's delicious to me too. Mm -hmm. But you know what? We don't keep it in the house. So even though you crave it, you just don't have an opportunity to eat it. Yeah. Right. And I have a very strong belief in single ingredient diet. Mm -hmm. I'm not perfect. I'm not preaching to anyone that I'm perfect, but I try really hard to abide by a single ingredient diet. So instead of buying like a pre-made sauce of some sort or a marinade that's made with a bunch of shit you can't even pronounce, is you make your own like with fresh garlic and fresh onions and herbs and spices, right? So when it comes to snacking, 
is instead of having all this processed food that is terrible for you, is even though you have like a cashew or an almond or something that has a higher content of fat, it's a completely natural product. Yeah. And of course, in moderation, like, I mean, you don't sit there and have a full 454 gram package of cashews. You have (laughs) three, four cashews. What I'll often do, because I like variety, is like if I'm starting to have a craving mid-morning is I'll have a couple almonds. And if after a while it doesn't satisfy that craving, I'll go back to the cupboard and I'll have a couple of cashews, Yeah, right? Or have carrots. Like fruits and vegetables are amazing snacks. Like you I love carrots. veggies. I got, I got to interrupt carrots. When we were in high school, I'd go over to your house for lunch. You would grab a carrot out of the fridge. And I'm talking, it's got like the green grass coming out the bottom of it and you would eat a carrot like bugs bunny style like just like you're chomping away like what's up doc (laughs) still do that today garden (laughs) carrots are delicious like you can buy the two three pounders and they're cheaper yeah but i find they're not nearly as tasty and when they're not as tasty i have like i I gravitate less to them so if i buy fresh carrots like i can eat a whole bunch in a day like i just love them rutabaga we grew up on rutabaga We didn't have a lot of resources. We made do with cheap stuff and root vegetables were inexpensive. And to this day, I love chopping up fingerlings of rutabagas. It's just delicious. Raw potatoes. Oh my God. Like my daughter Audrey just loves like thinly sliced potatoes with a little bit of salt. (laughs) Completely raw. We went to your birthday party. uh, I think it was your 40th. And we were helping prep for the party and we were making some potatoes. And my daughter and your daughter are peeling potatoes and cutting them up. And your daughter starts eating a potato raw. And I've never seen Peyton, like my daughter, just look like, what in the hell is she what doing? What the fuck's going on? <laughs> and then she's like, Peyton, try it. It's really good. And then Peyton's like, oh. And then I go back and Peyton's just mowing away on potatoes. <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. That's good. Lead by example. Exactly. But I mean, fruit, of course. I mean, if I could actually digest oranges, I find I get sores because of the acidity I get if I eat too oh, many okay. of them. Like I can only limit myself. I have a kinker today because I've eaten too many oranges in the last couple of days. It's true. So... But I, but oranges are amazing and they're a great source of vitamin C, of course, like everybody knows. But I mean, I was at my chiropractor this morning at uh, seven o'clock and I was going for uh, an adjustment and some acupuncture and I walked to my chiropractor and I ate an apple in 25 below weather uh, because <laughs> I hadn't had breakfast yet and I was feeling hunger. So awesome. it's just about choices and it's about keeping, in my opinion, it don't keep the shit you're tempted to eat because if yeah. it's there, you're going to eat it. Yeah. And I found myself where like we entertain and stuff and we'll buy some not so healthy snacks because we're entertaining guests and there's okay. like leftovers. I almost hurry up to eat them all so that I don't fucking eat them again. That's <laughs> like instead of just throwing them out or something, right? I was like, I better eat these shits because if I if I keep them around, I'll be snacking all week. <laughs> but so don't keep them in the house. Like my advice would be to just try to gravitate towards single ingredient diet when it comes yeah. particularly well, to, to snacking. And that's what I've been trying to do. It's like, yes, I love chips. So I actually, I have this, well, it's not a recipe. It's literally just roasting your own chickpeas with a little bit of paprika and 
some salt and pepper, and they are delicious. Like real chickpeas that you roast. Real yourself. chickpeas, oh, yeah, nice. yeah. Awesome. I see. Those. I've never done that before. You're gonna have to. Uh, you're gonna have to expose me. Just a little olive oil and some uh, some spices, and it, it satisfies the craving, right? And yeah. That's kind I thought of... you were gonna tell me the chickpea chips next to the vegetable oh, yeah. chips. So I was gonna say, Daryl, <laughs> we just fucking talked about this. That's bull. That's crap too. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So chickpeas is one. The other one, exactly. You taught me this was nuts. It's like there's always nuts in our house the the nuts you eat and we are nuts um and the other thing is and my wife is a chocoholic but we've now gravitated towards dark chocolate yeah and, and in moderation too you know you yes, don't want to eat a whole bar you just gotta eat one square you know if you buy the chocolate bar that's just one solid piece there's no de- definition of where to stop right you're such a good student daniel son my other thing is, and I know there's different forms of this, but popcorn. Yeah. But, you know, we have a theater oh. in our house with this big fancy popcorn machine that makes theater popcorn. But if I ate that every day, you'd be, why? Well, wouldn't even be able to roll out of the house because I'd be so fat. So <laughs> I try to tend to go to the air pop, which is literally just putting kernels in your air popper, popping them out. And then, you know, you can, you can drizzle other things on there besides salt. It's like, you know, grate some Parmesan cheese on top of it sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And it's delicious. Just a drop of olive oil in freshly popped corn is delicious. Oh, no kidding. And just put some spices or some herbs or whatever, right? Yeah. It's so important, I think, because we are in a day and age where, like, go back 50 years and people didn't really snack like we do today. Yeah. And people ate whole foods. Exactly. They used to cook with lard, for Christ's sake. (laughs) The thing is, there was no processed foods. There was no processed food option. You know, like if you're snacking on lunch meat all day long, that is not good for you. Don't fool yourself, even if the label says. Yeah, full of protein. Yeah. Yeah. 100% beef or 100% chicken or whatever. Like, yeah, that shit is fucking processed. Well, that's the funny part is that, like you said, back in the day, they would cook with lard and they now say you are what you eat. And we've literally become lard asses over time because we just buy processed stuff and we snack on those veggie straws and Doritos and anything else that's really not healthy for you, but is convenient, I guess. Yeah. So as our regular disclaimer for our uh, lifestyle topic is that we are not experts. No. We are living guinea pigs of our snacking habits. And uh, I do wear a white jacket when I talk to you, but I am not a doctor. (laughs) Yeah, it's called a straight jacket. (laughs) Take care, guys. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye.